Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 2. The last time we were in Isaiah 1, makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> I titled it Intro to Isaiah, uh, timed it with young people going back to school, college, training, whatever. Um, you got your intro classes, well, last Sunday was your intro to Isaiah. Gave a lot of background, who, what, where, why, when, how, and I always do that before we study a book. What are we reading this for? Why are we studying it? What relevance does it have to my life? Um, one person at the end of service called me brave for actually tackling the book of Isaiah. Uh, but today we're going to be in Isaiah 2, and the title is something to look forward to because, you know, it's amazing. I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on on our earth, you know, then talk about the things that are going to happen in Revelation in our future. It's actually very sad. It's very, um, it's thought-provoking. You know, we see what's going on in the world and all the suffering and in addition to natural disasters, there's armed conflicts, which I'm going to go into. There's, you know, skirmishes, battles, you know, crimes. And this is the, the state of mankind. You know, and some people think that, well, you know, give mankind enough time and we can make our own utopia. Well, that's not what the Bible says. So today we're going to look at something to look forward to, a time where the Lord does come back bodily and reigns forever. Um, you know, some churches, sadly enough, don't teach that. Uh, what, what was the sense in Jesus coming? Well, he redeemed us. He regenerated us spiritually. He gave us an opportunity at salvation. But there's also going to be a time because we're still connected to the physical creation. Our bodies are still physical. The creation is still physical. And then he's going to come back at an appointed time and take dominion over that as well. So if we could put up the timeline, as the timeline's going up, and this is from Compass International, which is a really great kind of picture of eschatology or end times, you know. We're, we live in linear time. So it's sometimes good to see in an illustration how things are going to unfold, how they're going to take place. I've been studying the Bible for a very long time, so in my mind I can, I'm following it all. But how do I make it presentable so that you could understand it as well? Some of you are more advanced in that way. Some of you are new believers. But basically what we have is, and we're going to see this in six parts, Going all the way back to Isaiah, which is, oh, I would say right around here on the timeline, you're roughly your 8th century B.C., he's, he's preaching, right? The northern and southern kingdom have split. The northern kingdom is on its way to being dominated by the Assyrians. We covered that last Sunday. Uh, the southern kingdom is, is in trouble as well spiritually, and God has to deal with them. And then what you have is a little further, okay, as we go this way in the timeline, we're, we're over here somewhere. Right, you're getting closer to the present. Over here is roughly the book of, of Daniel, which is, we covered that as well, which is the 6th century B.C., and Daniel tells the Jewish people literally when the day is to expect the Messiah. So anybody claiming to the, be the Messiah today, they're a false teacher or a false person because there was time-sensitive prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' day. This is time zero, right around here. This is when Jesus came to the earth, took the form of a man, fully God and fully man. The 69 weeks 
or the 69 Shavuot in the Hebrew, or each Shavuot is a seven-year period, much like our decade. So the 69 weeks of Daniel, there's really, he talks about 70 weeks for his people, the Jews, 490 years. You do the multiplication, 70 times 7. But in 69 weeks, 483 years, from a, a specific Persian decree, you count all the days, and Jesus actually shows up presenting himself to be the Messiah. Pretty fantastic, if you really think about it. You know, it's not just, well, what do we believe? Just because we believe. There's a lot of proof in the Bible, and one of them is prophecy. So we continue on, and, you know, we're listening to um, Isaiah right around here. And Isaiah prophesies about the coming Messiah as well. He also prophesies, this is kind of like where we are somewhere in 2017. He also prophesies of the Lord's second coming, his bodily coming to the earth, second coming of Christ. And this is really what we're going to focus on this morning. This time where Jesus comes and he reigns on the earth from Jerusalem. Uh, he deposes all earthly leaders. It's, a, it's a really an imposed righteousness, a great time, especially for us as believers. And uh, it's called the kingdom age or the millennial age. Millennium meaning thousand, a thousand year reign that Jesus speaks about. It's also spoken about in Revelation. It's spoken about in Thessalonians. It's all throughout the scripture. So if you're, you come from a church and you're like, wow, I'm new to this church and I never was taught this in my denominational church. I don't know, maybe people are intimidated by teaching eschatology, but Jesus makes a whole bunch of promises to us and we're going to see what this day of the Lord is to bring. Now, the day of the Lord, when it's spoken about, the day can also mean a time period. So the day of the Lord is really this time period where the Lord returns, right? The Bible tells us we look at a day a certain way. The Lord looks at like a thousand years as a day. It's a different perspective, right? He's God. He's eternal. We see an hour is a really long time. He sees that it is just like a second. So let's jump in. In Isaiah 2, it says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations. He shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So one out of six is the day of the Lord's rule. Now that would be nice if what he just said was happening today, but it's not. And I'm going to give you some statistics to prove that. Uh, people have weird ideas about end times, almost like we're in this period of the millennial kingdom and there's too much crime, there's too much war, there's too much bloodshed. It's not going to be when the Lord reigns. So we can't be in that time period. But it's very interesting. Verse 2, all nations shall come to Jerusalem. All nations. Now in the Greek word, some of the times that they mention nations, they, it's called ethnos, where they get the word ethnicity from. So a lot of different people are going to come to the house of the Lord. No more nationalism. Now I looked this up. 
there's currently 195 listed countries in the world today that we know of. And what do they all say? We're the best, right? Every country says, we're the best. No, we're the best. No, we're the best. It happens with ethnicities. It happens with races. And it's sad because God's like, listen, you're all my kids. I made you different. You know, I like the, the different colors and the different styles. And, and, and here we are in this planet, in our culture, fighting with each other over these stupid differences. Um, but one day, everyone's going to be going to the best. All the nations are going to realize this doesn't matter where I came from. God is the best, right? And that's where we go to worship. You can see all this streamlining into oneness, into unity. Verse 3, all nations will come to receive God's word, his law, his ways. And you see this continuity and contiguity, which means there's no break, in the understanding from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's always been about God's word. Even when we worship, this great. There are different diversity, there's different styles of worship in churches, but when we preach, when we talk, when we teach, is it according to God's word? Because if it's not, we're really in disobedience. So anybody who comes up and, and, and gives the message, a minister or whatever, they should know their word so they don't say something that's contrary to God's word. I'm going to get into that. There's going to be no denominations here, strictly God's word. And when we, today, when there's a lack of God's word or God's word is taken out of context, that's really what causes a lot of these doctrinal differences and fighting between churches when that shouldn't be. We all read by the same playbook. So we should be in harmony in a perfect world. But this is going to be a perfect world. Verse 4, there's going to be no more war among the nations. A lot of people are going to be put out of business, right? War is big business. It's a multi-trillion dollar industry when you look at it across the face of the globe. Buying specific equipment to kill other people, you know? Um, Nations do it to protect themselves. you know, we understand that. There has to be a military. There has to be some way to keep its own citizens at peace from outside, you know, from outsiders attacking. Uh, so it's a necessary evil, so to speak. But when the Lord comes back, it won't be needed anymore because he will rule righteously. He'll make sure that there's no more war. If we can put up the second image, because we, we read a lot of things in the scripture and we say, I've heard that before. Right? The beating of swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, right? Well, this is a picture. It's a sculptor, a sculpture that still exists, 1959. It's a man beating his sword into a plowshare. Now, this was donated by the Soviet Union, right, to the United Nations by a sculptor, Russian sculptor, Yevgeny Vushetik. Leon, did I pronounce that properly? I got a thumbs up in the back. <laughs> and the desire was for the nu- newly nuclearized superpowers to not annihilate the whole planet, because that was the fear, but to bring hopefully peace and stability. You know, There are a lot of people who run nations that do have a conscience and are terrified of full-blown thermonuclear war. It's, it's a terrifying prospect, because we can literally set the earth on fire with the weapons that are out there. But a plowshare is basically a blade that goes down on your plow when it digs into the ground and it breaks up the ground. So they'll still be gardening. My wife will be happy with that. They'll still be planting of of fruits and vegetables and trees and stuff. And a pruning hook, if you take a spear and you, you you know, bang it and 
bend it and heat it up, you can turn it into a pruning hook, which is basically um, snippers with a curved blade that's used for pruning trees and, and things like that, taking off the dead, deadheading and, and stuff like that. So um, that's, what, that's what's going to be happening instead of war. That's what the equipment will be used for. Sadly, the United Nations today is not doing a great job in stopping war. This, isn't, this only is going to come with the Prince of Peace. The statistics, more statistics. Again, I got a lot of statistics for you this morning. There are 55 ongoing armed conflicts as we speak. In the last year and a half, there have been a quarter of a million deaths as a result of those armed conflicts. Now, that doesn't include local crimes. That doesn't include things that are not on record. That just includes the things that we know about. That's a small amount of time for that many people to lose their life. Again, one day the Prince of Peace will come. And that's why as believers we look forward to that time. Right? The Lord will judge, the Bible says, and rebuke among nations. So there still will be disputes. But the Lord, the Lord will not allow war. It's fascinating. You know, a lot of the Old Testament prophets spoke about the millennial kingdom spoke about these types of things, what the world would be like, right? what the society would be like. So what this tells us, if there's still conflicts, but they're not armed conflicts, is that there still will be sinners. There still will be the unsaved. The rede- the, those that are redeemed, those in Christ, will be fully redeemed. We will have already, the Lord will have already taken us out, bringing us to heaven, having the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then in Revelation, I believe, 19, come back down, and that's when his second coming takes place. So there's a few things going on in our future. Now, it gets weird when some guy stands up or some gal and says, the Lord's going to come back in 2011. That's weird. The Bible, and even Jesus says, we're supposed to know the signs of the times, but we're not supposed to know dates and times. False teachers give dates and times. We don't. We just say, hey, this is what to look forward to, right? So there still will be unsaved, um, just as God doesn't force people to get saved today during this period of time. Some will get saved, and some will still be rebellious, believe it or not. And, you know, this is what I pray for. I pray for, and we pray for, and a lot of pastors pray for this this situation where the Lord is ruling instead of corrupt politicians that are bent on power and dictators and such. In addition, verses 2 and 4, which I did read, did read were verbatim in Micah's prophecy some, some 20 years later. So this was very important that God wanted his people and us to know. So in Micah 4, 1 through 3, we see the same thing. And again, here's the irony. Even with a utopia on earth, there will still be a segment of the population in rebellion. And the argument today from the secular humanists, from the great minds of our culture, is just keep giving people stuff and they'll behave better. Listen, God tried that with Adam and Eve. <laughs> How did that work out? And there was nothing that they could have needed or wanted that he didn't give them. Okay, But with free will comes the, the possibility of choosing evil. With, the, with free will also there's a possibility of choosing good. We've seen that in the hurricane reliefs. People from all backgrounds, nationalities coming together and helping each other at peril to themselves, saving neighbors, strangers, right? So humankind has the great capacity to do good, but also has the great capacity to do evil. So even during this time of utopia again, 
right? Even the animals won't be vicious, you know. The lion will lay down with the lamb, and the child will pay, play by the cobra's hole and be safe. So it's going to be a pretty cool thing to see. But even then, in that utopia, people will still choose evil over good. It's amazing. What a stubborn creature we are as human beings. Um, but, you know, God draws us with his love. Verse 5, he says, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. So this is two out of six, is a plea to do the right thing. You know, so Isaiah is saying, listen, this is the future. This is what God showed me. And, you know, you, and then he goes to the present and says, look at our culture. It's so decadent. Why don't we just kind of get it right the first time? Why don't we walk in the light of the Lord? Why don't we do what the Lord has called us to do? He's been so good to us. Again, even today in 2017, it's a choice to do evil or to do good. You know, it's like the expression goes, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. And as Christians, we should also be praying for revival. That even though that society is becoming decadent, that we pray for our own selves and our own families and our own communities, and that starts to take uh, like wildfire, it starts to catch on. And there's this great revival, the work of the Holy Spirit, maybe not necessarily on the major news networks, but God, is, he does, God doesn't need to be on television. You know, I love that about him. He doesn't, he's not that insecure that he needs to be in front of the cameras all the time. He can do a beautiful work humbly inside communities and bring people together without the, without the news. And we can see that today. We, we need revival. I believe that. I named, I named my son Josiah after a great king of Judah who was shown the law and who forced, who, who made this national fast and this revival meeting in Judah. And God said to him, because you, so, you were so good and because you made such great reforms, that the judgment I was sending on Judah, I'm going to delay it because of what you've done. We need more Josiahs in the world, right? We need more people that are on fire for the Lord and on fire for his word. What is it about this world's darkness that's so wonderful to walk in, I wonder? You know, I, I remember I came to the Lord some 24 years ago, and the world was an attraction, but the Lord was more attractive. His light was attractive to me. It didn't happen right away, but it eventually happened. Why would anybody continue to walk in this world's darkness and shun the Lord's ways? Because if we're not walking in the light of the Lord, we are walking in darkness. It's just the way it is. It's one of two things. We continue in verse 6. He says, For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, now, this is Isaiah speaking, and sometimes the prophets would just take what the Lord said and just kind of deliver it to the people. Sometimes they would actually have dialogue with the Lord, right? He's saying to God, you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines. They are pleased with the children of foreigners. And their land is also full of silver and gold. And there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. People bow down, and each man humbles himself, therefore do not forgive them. This is very important. It's three out of six, and it basically 
speaks about the current sins of the culture. And this is why God was upset. These were the Lord's grievances. Remember, you go through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. I mean, God kept saying, if you just will follow me, if you just will keep that covenant relationship with me, your borders will be protected, you'll have plenty of food, you'll have all these things. I'll I'll make it happen supernaturally if I have to. But if you start following after false gods, stuff's going to start to crumble. And that's my paraphrase. So he says, you're filled with eastern ways. Now this is interesting because I looked, this is just a a figure of speech. We know that the world is spherical, but um, whether even today, even in our modern technology, our modern understanding, we still kind of look at the world as east and west. Those in the understood east look at us as westerners. We look at those in the east as easterners. It's just the way it is. It's kind of a flat map kind of uh, understanding that's really never gone away. But at about this time, Hinduism was established and Buddhism was taking root. Now, it's very interesting because Hinduism and Buddhism have very similar roots. It comes from the Vedic understandings. The Hindus and Buddhists, uh, Buddhists of today have similarities They also have great differences. There's some things they really fight about, and there's some things that they are in agreement about. This is important because some of their worship is very pagan, like the Philistines that he spoke about. Today, and it's it's becoming mainstream in American culture, it's come this way. You know, the the freakish um, elephant human gods, the gods with multiple limbs, arms and legs, It's false teaching. God is spirit. You can't really paint a picture of what God looks like. He's perfect. He made us in his image. Okay? The soothsayers, they were into the dark arts, the enchantments, the witchcraft, the demon conjuring. Now, understand this because somebody can look at the Bible and find whatever they wanted to say, and they could be wrong. It's called poor eisegesis. It says, they are pleased with the children of foreigners. What, it's not xenophobic. Only a fool can read that into the text. What it means is that, listen, God created us all different. As a matter of fact, we were all the same until sin caused the separation of humankind and everybody went into different languages and different parts of the world. But we're all God's children. We all come from the same race. So in that sense, in that sense diversity, coexisting is all good except when somebody wants to come from an area where they bring some demonic practices. You know, I mean, I've, I've had my ethnicity tested, and um, there's people that, from where I come from that still follow some very strange practices. It's not, it's not an ethnic thing. It's a spiritual thing, okay? God loves the, the diversity, but what he doesn't like is, understandably so, is when people shun him and bring in these freakish or these demonic type of gods and people bow down and worship him. It's very offensive. And if you are a Christian and you really have a relationship with the Lord, you can understand that. Now, what about in the church? Some of these ways are getting into the church. I don't think I'm going to make a lot of friends with this one, but I've done plenty of research, and the whole uh, prosperity gospel, the word faith movement, it has bad, bad roots that aren't Christian. Norman Vincent Peale, Robert Schuller, Oral Roberts, this, this idea of roots into new thought. 
these mantras. You watch some of these guys on TV, and they say, just visualize that mansion. That's going to be yours. You know, to visualize, to actualize, sitting in the seat of the CEO. Say the words over and over again. You, you, some of you are keen to this. That's Eastern ways. They're mantras. They're, um, they're new thought. They're, they're, it's a branch of metaphysics where we have the power now. So we take the power away from God and his choice. And if you push God hard enough, you can make him do what you want to do. That's a problem. That's a real problem. The book, The Secret, a lot of these guys are into this, this Gnostic esoteric knowledge that most people don't have. You know, some of you are going to look up the secret now. <laughs> but it's weird. It's, it's mystic. It's, oh, I'm going to get something that nobody else has. See, God offers his wisdom freely and openly. If you look at a lot of these concepts, they're hidden. Therefore, the occult. Occult means hidden. What I like to believe in my flesh, I'm not, let me take Pastor Joe and, and go home, and tomorrow I'm in my flesh. Would Pastor Joe, who's now Joe, in his flesh, like to believe everything that Joel Osteen is preaching? Of course I would. Of course I would want the best house and the best car and the most compliant kids and the most, you know, and think about it, it's all about me. But that's not reality. It's not reality. And I have to say, many who like him, they will defend him vehemently. It's not Christian what he's preaching, folks. When we hear about a wolf in sheep's clothing, the sheep looks good. The sheep is going to be beautiful. The sheep is going to have great oratory skills, but it's just the cloak for demonic doctrine. God is the one who makes the decision, not us. No matter how much we push him, we have to accept his will. So, you know, it, it, what can I say? I mean, this, this is what it is. How does this stuff fly in the areas of the persecuted church? Let's go to Africa. Let's go to India. Let's go to Indonesia. A lot of those Christians are suffering miserably. Their, their, their churches are being bombed. They're uh, being driven from their homes. And you're going to preach this prosperity stuff to them? Is that going to fly? Are they going to be able to relate to that? Of course they won't. I was watching videos of Benny Hinn go up on the stage, and there's 40 people up there, and he just goes around like this. And everybody falls down. I'm like, is, this is like a joke. You know what I'm saying? It's the if he's really doing it, that's not from God's power, folks. I got, I got news for you. You can be a mini-God, I'm a mini-Messiah, careful with those words. There's only one God. Satan tried to achieve that, and he was cast down like lightning, Jesus said. So why would any human try that? That's called suicide. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Even, and I, and I have to say, and you, we have to be able to define the terms. If the Tibetan monks are being persecuted by the Chinese government... I can stand with them arm in arm. They're human beings. They're my brothers as far as human beings. But I have to stop short of the Buddhism that they're trying to bring our way or into the church. People quote the Dalai Lama. It's a false religion. You either believe what Jesus says or you don't. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I believe that God would be a very unfair God if we could get to him through many different ways. There could be the couch potato Christians that just sit around, do nothing all day, and they get to go to heaven. Well, that's not fair to Christians who actually do something with their faith. So what God did was he created one standard 
that everybody can attain. You could be disabled, you could be poor, you could, be, you could have no friends, and you can get to heaven just as easily as anybody else. So it's something that we have to look at. He spoke about it back then. Unfortunately, it's still a problem today. Okay? Verses 7 through 8, it says that there, oh, believe me, there's something for everybody here, you know, when, when God preaches through his prophets. He says, the land is filled with silver and gold. The economy was good, but the spiritual situation was deplorable. Never, never measure a ministry's success or a culture's success by its wealth. It's a big mistake. Because back then, everybody had money. Everybody was doing good. But the spiritual situation was horrific. And sometimes the hardest people to reach with salvation are those who have need of nothing. Their health is good. Their bank accounts are full. What do I need God for? It's tough. That's called economic idolatry. Verse 8, it says, Their land is full of idols they worship, the work of their own hands. Now, back then, people made their little gods. They made them out of stone, out of wood, and they worked hard. If you have ever worked on something with your hand, you look at it and you go, ha, it's my creation. I built that, you know, and it's, it's, it's a nice accomplishment. Except what they were doing is they were making little gods out of these materials. And, of course, God wasn't happy with that. But we can do that. We can worship our gifts and talents, You know, some of you are extremely talented. Some of you play instruments. You don't want to hear me try to play an instrument. Some of you sing, I can't. Joni, beautiful voice. Don't get me up there with a microphone. It's not going to go well. (laughs) Um, Some of you can build things. Some of you are engineers. Some of you are, are surgeons, nurses. Incredible talent. But do we leave God out of it? Before I was a Christian, I did. You know, one of the things I said to inflate my own ego was, I'm a self-made man. I did a lot of things. Today, I can still do a lot of things, but the difference is today, I give God the glory. Whatever I can do, whatever I can make, whatever I can build, uh, thank you, Lord. All it takes is a, an aneurysm. It takes a, a hurricane. It takes a, a subluxation. It takes, a, you know, some nucleopulposus material in your disc to squeeze out and press against your nerve, and you lose feeling in a part of your body. And we're talking millimeters, folks. You realize how fragile and frail we are? So do we give God the glory, or do we take the glory for ourselves? What they were doing was idolatry of self. A lot of idolatry that can happen. It's funny, people read the Bible and go, oh, those people were so backwards and archaic. But then when we we remove the little idols for what we do today, we realize, gee, I can fall into that trap as well. Verse 9 The people bow down. They humble themselves and do not forgive. Now, some are perplexed. Wait, we're talking about God here. Do not forgive. What is he talking about? Well, instead of bowing down to God, they bow down to everything else. Money, idols, in temples. And and the children of Israel did that. They, They brought in, it wasn't just the east, it was some to the west. So to the east, they had certain gods that they would bring in. They would actually trade little figurines. Oh, this is your god? This is your god of the valley? You know, to the west, the Mediterranean Sea, the Philistines had fish gods, like part human and part fish. And when they would, supposedly, they thought if they prayed to the fish god, that they would put their nets down and get a great catch of fish. This is how primitive and ignorant it was. But again... 2017, 
we're so smart in the United States, we can have idols too. We can make anything an idol. Just put Dagon, you know, Dagon and Bell and just put something else in there. That promotion is my idol. You know, that second house is my idol. Everything I do is for that. I actually had a car once. It was, uh, my wife's laughing. She knows where I'm going. I had this car once that I was restoring, and I was always out there. Where's Joe? He's under the hood. You know, eventually I sold the car. <laughs> because I, it, was, it was like making me crazy. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, this is, I'm spending all my time on this stupid car, and I was a Christian. And I just said, you know what? I, I got to get rid of it. I don't know what it was. It was like an OCD addiction type thing with me. But I got rid of the car because it was hurting my relationships. So anything can be a God. Understand this, these people were in an active state of rebellion. God says this, ah, I'm bowing down to this. So he says, you, God cannot forgive when someone's in a state of rebellion. There has to be repentance, there has to be change. You know, when we come to Christ, when I came to Christ, I didn't say, you know what, Lord, don't make waves. I really want you, and I want to love you, but don't make any waves. I want everything to stay exact. We can't have that attitude. That's insanity. That's not coming to the Lord. You know, there were habits in my life. There were things that had to change, change of self. And today we don't want to change self. There's all these books out there on how you can make yourself better without having to change a thing. Change other people so that they can be more compliant. Change your spouse. Change your kids. Change your, manipulate your boss so that he can give you that raise. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we need to change ourselves. You see what I'm saying? Continuing on, verse 10. It says, Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, upon all the oaks of Bashan, upon all the high mountains, upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish, upon all the beautiful sloops, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols he shall utterly abolish." Four out of six is the Lord's second coming will be a time when the proud will be humbled, period, period. The lofty and proud looks will be humbled. The haughtiness of men will be bowed down. Only God will be receiving that glory that in a lot of ways men and women receive today. You know, it's just the thing too. It's like, uh, it's, maybe it's a form of addiction when somebody... Um, you know, gets into office and they're not there for the right reasons and they, they find that they have all this money in this account that they could do whatever they want. They could hire people. They have power over the populace. And then they move to a higher position and find that they have power over more people. Again, some, some are good. Some politicians are good. But some of them just keep getting these, these things to just have dominance over people and they become extremely prideful. Do you know, you ever hear somebody say, do you know who I am? They're doing something wrong. There may be a conflict. Do you know who I am? Who cares? Your behavior stinks, you know what I'm saying? But they want you to know who they are. Do you know I own this town? Listen, <laughs> it's out there. I won't go through every single image, but 
Understand back then, there were towers, there was mountains, there were certain ships, there were places, there were trees um, that people had maybe the high ground uh, in, a, in, a, in a military aspect. They had certain ships, they uh, had certain towers, and what, they were pretty much impregnable. They were impenetrable. They didn't have bombers, they didn't have fighter jets. So this was the way that somebody could insulate themselves and be powerful. They were walled cities. So I won't go through all of it, but basically it's symbolic of might and power of men and nations. And again, we have, you can just fill in the blanks. You know, it's not a high tower, but it's a, you know, it's, it's an, an F, I don't know, F-18 fighters, or it's, hey, you know, not every nation has jet planes, but some do. And they feel a certain sense of confidence and security because they have, you know, nuclear weapons, right? A sense of confidence, a sense of ego, a sense of pride. If anybody messes with me, I'm just going to press the button and blow them to smithereens. We don't know the mind of Kim Jong-un, you know? Um, we don't know. Is he, is he going to do it? Is he not going to do it? The whole world is talking about it because they're concerned. Right? This guy, is, he's, he's a narcissist. He's always smiling and having a good time, and there's all these pictures of him, and he's nuts. You know what I'm saying? He wants everybody to know that he's got th these capabilities. I wonder if he sat down on a shrink's couch, what they would say about this guy. And here's the guy who's got his finger on the trigger. It's frightening. But one day, the powerful, the elites of the world, and their two-tiered system of justice will come to an end. You know, even sometimes in, in our country, we see those that if we committed that crime, we'd be going away for 20 years. Well, that person has power, so they're untouchable. That's not fair. But when the Lord comes back, it's all going to be fair. Now, real quick, um, th there's a theory that because you, when you look at these things and, and there's this, this pride that builds up and, and the economy's good, uh, a lot of times what the prophets do is they'll speak something that's happening in their time, and then they'll speak about something that happens in the future. So, you know, when we go through the whole thing with the timeline and the Lord returning, when the Lord returns bodily for the second time, we're not talking about the rapture, uh, he's going to face a nation, a populace that doesn't want him to reign. So there's going to be battles. Well, the Lord's going to make light work of the Antichrist and his armies, but you can see this stage already being set up for this, you know, this push towards globalism, globalism. So this one person, this one leader, will have immense power at his hands. It won't, he won't just have power over a nation. He'll have power arguably over a quadrant of the world, okay? And he'll be inspired by Satan himself. But the idea is that when the Lord removes his, his people, brings us up to heaven for the marriage supper of the Lamb, we will leave behind cars, bank accounts, plots of land, churches. So the, the idea is that when the Christians are removed, there'll be an immense amount of wealth that will be received by the leaders. They'll confiscate it. So there'll be a boon to the economy, right? And then when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. Then the Antichrist will he'll be revealed for what he is. He'll attack Israel. He'll try to set himself up as a god in Jerusalem and the war will be in total conflagration, right? Um, in addition to that, the Lord will be sending down the seal judgments, the bowl judgments, the different judgments to judge a very rebellious world. It's going to be a horrible time. You know, I looked at 
the newspaper, and I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh, wow, there's, there's an 8.3 earthquake in Mexico, and there's monsoons in India and Nepal and, and Pakistan, and I'm, I'm saying to myself, this is crazy, but this is going to be nothing compared to what the earth is going to see in Revelation. Okay, you either, again, you could say I'm a kook, you either believe the Bible or you don't believe the Bible, but God wrote it, and he wrote it all the same, and it's all inspired by the Holy Spirit. So... I look at a few things. I look at two things, and I, I find it humorous. I have friends, and they're very educated, and I try to talk to them about the Lord. And one particular friend, he keeps telling me about aliens. He keeps sending me all his alien stuff. And I said, listen, I, one, after a while of going back and forth, they said, let me just cut this down. You have a lifestyle. You like your lifestyle. Not, not really in line with what the Bible says. So it's better for you to believe in aliens that are not going to hold you accountable than a God who is God. And he, and he kind of looked at me and he's like, uh. So he had to kind of concede that point. But I could see that when, when the Christians are removed, the earth is going to say, oh, those annoying Christians, finally we're rid of them. And they can say it was alien abduction, they cleansed the earth so the earth could be a happy place. And my one friend, if he doesn't get saved, he's going to say, oh, poor Joe, he got taken by the aliens, he should have listened to me. <laughs> no. The same thing with the storms, you know, we read in Revelation these incredible storms, but what's going to be the cover for the storms, like the cover for the rapture? It's going to be global warming. Anything that goes wrong now, it's, it's global warming. Well, Pastor Joe, are you saying you don't believe in science? Yeah, I do. I believe in the 100 scientists who've been shunned from the major news networks. One was the founder of the Weather Channel, meteorologists and stuff, who say, this is ridiculous. This is just a ploy to get more money. The earth has, the models are off. The earth has gone through cycles. So, when you're trying to tell scientists who have incredible degrees and masters and doctorates to be quiet and we're not going to hear your point of view, then I get suspicious. It's just my nature. So these are, you know, people say, well, how could this be and how could people fall under this guy? Because he's going to say, hey, they're all gone. Listen, it's a little tumultuous right now. Just unify under me. And what do people do? In a, in a, whether it's terrorism, we've seen it in our country. We give up personal freedoms for more security. So the earth is going to, people are going to give up more of their personal freedoms for some charismatic leader who's going to promise them personal um, security, right? So there you have it. Uh, verse 18, we continue on. It says, But the idols he shall shutterly, utterly abolish. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily in that day, a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each for himself to worship, to the moles and the bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. So five is idolatry is completely abolished. Now, this is interesting because these are the ones that were in a rebellion against the Lord. But when the Lord comes back, that's why, again, these groups that have said, oh, the world's going to end in 1970, the Lord's going to come back. Oh, the, it's going to end in 2011. They've all been shown for what they are, false teachers. When the Lord comes back, it's not going to be like, do you think that was the Lord? Believe me, when he comes back, everyone's going to see it, and they're going to be like, whoa. It isn't going to be a storm. It isn't going to be an alien. Everyone's going to know who it is. Okay, so even those that are in rebellion are just going to be like, my idols, I'm done. 
hide me in the rocks because I'm in rebellion and, and here he is and this is not going to be good for me. <laughs> so the idols he will utterly abolish and the idols in our culture, um, it'll be very clear that he's, there will be no mistake. Verses 10, 19, and 21, I'll read the last one again because it's repeated three times and I was always taught when when God keeps repeating himself, it's something we should really pay attention to because he shouldn't have to repeat himself. But let me read it again. To go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Verses 19 and 21 after verse 10 add that he's going to shake the earth. Let's look at the characteristics and actions of the Lord before we close. Number one, his terror. Uh, somebody actually asked me at the men's group, you know, how could a God be a God of love and a God of judgment, right? He's both. And, you know, when you have a parent who, you set the terms as a kid, not for nothing, you know, especially when you're a little kid. You can really just p- press your parents' buttons you could try, you could, I, I, I had, a, I had a, an issue with starting fires in my house, and my mom whooped me. My grandmother whooped me once. I just had this thing, I went through this phase, and uh, I got the broom, I got the belt. I, I was a bad kid. <laughs> you know, she's not here today. She does come, she, she's a little, she's further away, but she does visit, and she'd get a kick out of that. I'll have to give her the message, but I, I got hit with everything. <laughs> but I deserved it because I could have burnt the house down and killed every, I didn't know, I just liked fire, you know, smoke. And so um, I set the terms. I could either get the broom and the belt or I could get the hugs and the kisses and the stroke of the face. I set the terms as a kid. And folks, as, as people, as human beings, we set the terms, right? This is right in Philippians. We can come to the Lord out of adoration that's where I am. I just love him. And thank you, Lord. I'm not thrilled with every discipline he throws my way or conviction in the scripture, but heck, he's right, I'm wrong. So it's the adoration. We adore the Lord. But in the end, those that rebel right up to the end will come to him out of obligation. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, right, to the glory of God the Father. This is for Jesus when he comes. We'll be like, come, Jesus. The rebellious will be like, hide us. You know, it will be forced to bow the knee. So we can come to the Father. We can come to God at the terms that we set. And that includes everyone here this morning. Also, the glory of his majesty. If you've ever read Revelation 4, I taught that. The throne room of God, the sea of glass and the colors and the, the living creatures. And, you know, John gives us a snapshot of heaven in words on a page. I mean, and you get chills. Could you imagine seeing that in person? The angels, the seraphim, uh, Isaiah 6, the seraphim, they have six wings. Two, they're flying, right? Two, they're, I think, covering their feet. Um, it's just an amazing sight that Isaiah gets of God and the angels and his, his glory and his train of his robe filling the temple. Um, we're going to get, you know, the Apostle Paul tells us about the third heaven that he ascended up to, that he saw things that he says, I can't even explain. You just, you just picture the Apostle Paul with paper and, and pen and just writing and going, there's no way I can explain what I just saw, you know? So the glory of his majesty, God is glorious. And then the last thing we see is God says, I'm going to shake the earth. 
Sometimes we need to be shaken out of our complacency. Our culture is a decadent culture. I don't know any culture around the, the, the earth that's really moving towards God, except for some revivals here and there. But I want to read to you Revelation 6, just a few verses here. Revelation 6, starting with verse 12, the sixth seal. When the sixth seal was broken, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Powerful. Powerful. Is the earth being shaken today? I think so. On a very small scale. And I just think that, that the earth right now is just, it's because of the, the, the marring of sin, I believe that the whole creation is just, it's running its, its course. It's winding down. It's not, I don't believe people say this, and oh, I, I cringe sometimes, you know. Well, God is, is mad with Florida, or God's mad with India, or, oh, be careful of that stuff. What I believe is what the Bible says, Romans 8 tells us, that the creation is groaning, it's subject to futility because of sin. The earth, the weather patterns, could you imagine how pristine it was when God first created it? But because of sin, it's just starting to come apart. Geologists say that, you know, when you look at the, the fissures in the earth, it's like the earth was a, a, an egg that was dropped too many times on the floor. There's cracks everywhere. The tectonic plates have shifted. You know, the electromagnetic uh, field that surrounds that you can't see, is, it's designed to protect. That's starting to break down the ozone layer. When you really start to study, I still have my books from college from 30 years ago. I just found it fascinating. But, and, we've, of course, we've found all new material since then. That's the beautiful thing about science. God knows exactly what he did and how he created everything, and we're just catching up every 10 years with new equipment. So this is what's going on in the earth. Things are just starting to come apart. And when I read about Mexico and India and the United States and, and Europe, I'm thinking, where is there not a place where there's some type of horrible natural disaster? And how can I say this with a smile and be positive? Because we know that one day, this is what it says, something to look forward to. The Lord is going to come back and all that stuff's going to stop. Remember reading in the Gospels when he was on the boat and there was an incredible storm and the fishermen the disciples were panicking. And Jesus just goes, peace, be still. Whew. It's like somebody cut the volume off. They, their ears were probably still ringing from the noise of the storm. I've been in storms. Silence. And that's what the Lord's going to do. See, that's where I can have my hope. Not in circumstances, but inside. Because I know what he's promised me. I know what the Bible says. Last verse. Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? Six out of six. Don't ever put your trust in man. Period. Trust in God. Man 
has breath in his nostrils. Man needs to breathe out of his nose or his mouth to get the air that has 18 to 20% oxygen, otherwise he dies. Man needs to breathe 12 to 20 breaths per minute or he dies. Man is fragile. Don't fear a man, don't trust a man. It goes both ways. Or a woman. Ladies, same thing. What are we doing with our lives? What are we putting our trust in? Who are we putting our trust in? Are we putting too much stock in men's opinions? And I see that too sometimes. Listen, you got Bibles in front of you. If I say something you think is kooky, look it up. Pastor Joe, you didn't give a biblical reference, so I promise I will, and then you can look it up for yourself. I see people, they serve from one ministry to the other, from one speaker to the other, from one TV preacher to the other. Read your Bibles. And I'm confused. You're going to be. If I did that, I'd be confused. I'd be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. It would start to overshadow what I already know, my base and my foundation in the Scripture. Stop putting your trust in man. Verse 22b, for of what account is he? What are these mighty men and women, even in some of these ministries, going to look like when the Lord returns? Do you think that Jesus is going to let them share the stage with them? I'll be somewhere in the back. I just want to make it. You know what I'm saying? I just want the Lord to say, you did a good job. Didn't always do it perfectly, but you did what I asked you to do. It's all I want. I don't want to share a stage with him. A lot of people do. And they're going to find out the hard way that's not the way it works. Isaiah 14, 16 is coming up that one day the world will even look at Satan, the fallen angel, and say, he's the one that deceived us? He's the one that, that terrified us? I'm paraphrasing. They're going to be incredulous at, at, at what he looks like and how much power people allowed him to have over their lives. Every man who had power and held somebody else in fear and subservience will also be brought down. Every false teacher will be exposed. I won't have to talk about it anymore. Something to look forward to as the birth pangs of creation groans because it's subject to futility looking for its full redemption. That's what is going on. And that's what we're going to see. And that is something to look forward to because as he regenerated us spiritually in the realm of the I can't see, he's going to come back and regenerate in the realm of I can see. And that's what we can look forward to. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.